Okay, so we are going to continue our, uh, uh, the trend that we've started this year of learning uh, segments of the parasha that, are, uh, that don't command the lion's share of attention when people are learning the uh, parasha Tashavua. There are certain sections that we know, certain stories that jump out that are very compelling, that are very popular to study in detail. And then there are other ones that... Um, appear to be of secondary importance or we can't even really determine sometimes what the uh, what the importance is or what the significance is of a particular story uh, in the unfolding narrative of the Chumash. So uh, this we this year in this cycle of uh, of Parashan of course we're we're uh, continually uh, in the previous uh, in the previous parasha uh, and because we've been uh, trying to have a complete set of learning of the parasha so this this um, cycle uh, we've been uh, we're always one uh, one step uh, behind. So we're doing the previous. We're doing we're doing Parashat Toledot, and I thought that uh, when I look at Parashat Toledot, that I'm trying to find what elements of it or what stories really are the popular ones that receive the most attention. Uh, I would say the story of the Bachot being stolen by uh, by Yaakov from his father Yitzchak and the conflict with Esav is probably the most popular topic. I would say that most people associate that. With uh, you know, or, or would say that that is the most fundamental, most important uh, uh, narrative element or narrative component of the parasha, uh, because it uh, ends up determining really what's going to happen in Yaakov's future, uh, and and who is going to be the um, the successor of Yitzchak. So it's clearly very very important, and everybody who talks about the parasha, pretty much everybody will gravitate. To the story of the Bachot. So, um, even though you may have been ho- hoping that I would speak about the story of the Bachot, uh, I thought this year we might shift gears and talk about a lesser-known story or a lesser, uh, a less discussed story, and um, and that is the story of Yitzchak, which again, Yitzchak is a person that we learn the least about his personality or about his activities in the Torah. We are presented with the least information and the least detail about him uh, among all the Avot. The Avot in uh, Avraham, uh, although I've, as I've said before, Avraham in a certain sense is uh, kind of larger than life. He's, uh, he's a, a towering figure. It's difficult to relate to his personality, perhaps, but we definitely get a lot of information about his activities. And Yaakov, of course, uh, every detail from his birth and on um, is, pre- is presented to us in the Torah. But Yitzchak is the uh, least celebrated character. He's the one that gets uh, the least time, the least attention from the Torah, uh, except for one segment. And ironically, people will say that the Torah doesn't spend much time talking about Yitzchak, which is true. It spends much, much more time talking about Abraham and, uh, and Yaakov. There's no question about that. But there is one story that focuses exclusively on Yitzchak. And this story is often not... Uh, examined in as much detail because it's not as exciting and it's not as uh, it's not as dramatic as the story of the stealing of the Bachot, which is already a transition to the next generation to Yaakov. So it feels almost as if we don't get any time with Yitzchak. So I would like to spend a little bit of time with Yitzchak and uh, and examine the story that di- that is the only story that is exclusively about him, which is which is in Perik uh, chapter twenty six of Breshit, Perik Kavav. I don't have an article Chumash here. I have a regular Chumash at home, so. <clears throat> if you can find it in chapter 26, whatever Chumash is in front of you, or if you are using an online resource to follow, that's also great. There was a famine in the land. 
in addition to the first famine that was in the days of Avraham, which of course we remember from Parashat Lech Lecha, that as soon as Avraham Avinu arrives in the land of Canaan, he is faced with a lack of food, he is faced with the, the famine, and he has to go to Egypt. Vayelech Yitzchak el Avimelech Melech Pedishtim, Yitzchak doesn't go to Egypt like Abraham did, but he goes to Avimelech, the king of Plishtim, to this area of Gerar. Now we know already that Abraham has a relationship with uh, Avimelech, and, um, and Yitzchak as well enjoys a relationship with him. So, Hashem appears to Yitzchak in a, pro- in a prophetic vision and tells him not to go to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you. Live in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Because to you and your descendants, I will give all of these lands, and I will fulfill my promise that I made to Abraham, your father. And I will increase your seed, your children, like the stars of the heaven, and I will give to your children all of these lands, and. Uh, all of the, the nations of the world will be blessed through your children. As a result of the fact that Avram listened to my voice, he kept my watch, my mitzvot, my statutes, and my instructions. So this, um, it, what you'll notice here, and I think it's a, a, a critical point, is that what we're going to see in Yitzchak is a lot of comparison, but also a lot of contrast between him and his father Avraham. Now, nobody would want to live in the shoes of, or the, in the shadow of Avraham Avinu, such a towering figure. And Yitzchak has the, um, perhaps the, um, uh, the, the very difficult, the very difficult job of having to fill the shoes of such a great person, having to be the success, successor of such a great person. And um, it's no easy task. And you'll notice that Reflecting this sort of tension or this issue is the constant mention of Avraham here. It said that there was a, a famine in the land in addition to the one that, that happened during the days of Avraham. And it says when Hashem speaks to Yitzchak, He says, I'm going to, to fulfill the promise that I made to Avraham, your father. And why am I going to do it? Because Avraham listened to my voice, and he kept my commandments and my statutes and my, and my instructions and so on. So the emphasis on Avraham Avinu is very, very uh, pronounced here, not so much on Yitzchak Avinu. And I think that there is something to be said about that. That seems to be a critical element of what the Torah is telling us here. And as we move forward, we're going to see that. And we're going to see that a lot of this is the issue of negotiating the tension between a... Uh, a founder like Avraham Avinu, a founding personality, and of course a successor who has to inherit that legacy and is never quite as good or is always measured up by the standard set by his predecessor, difficult to position to be in. But you see that Avraham Avinu is still, his presence is still very much felt in the story here. There is a famine, just like in the days of Avraham Avinu. There is a divine revelation that mentions twice Avraham Avinu. And Yitzchak lives in Gar, and again he finds himself in the identical circumstance of Avraham Avinu with people asking him about his wife. And he says, and he says, she's my sister. Since Rivka was very beautiful, there was a concern that Yitzchak would be killed and his wife taken from him, just like Avraham Avinu was concerned about the same thing. So again, 
anybody who's reading these stories is having deja vu, is experiencing, uh, we're going through the same sort of ordeal with Yitzchak that Abraham himself experienced, except here there's a contrast that Yitzchak does not go down to Egypt, Yitzchak remains in the territory of Avimelech, which in, uh, incidentally, Avram also spent quite a lot of time in the territory of Avimelech, and his wife was also taken by Avimelech. So there's, it's, it, there is a clear connection between the two stories. But let's then notice if there's a difference. When the days were lengthened there, meaning he, he spent a long time there already, Avimelech, the king of the Pishim, looked out of his window. And he saw that Yitzchak was playing around with his wife Rivka. In other words, he was being flirtatious with her or he was being uh, romantic with her. It was clear that they were not brother and sister. Whatever they were doing, they weren't brother and sister. And he said to him, Avimelech said to Yitzchak, Hey, this is your wife, not your sister. How could you go around telling people this is your sister? Now again, we're having deja vu. This is exactly what happened to Avram. Avram claimed that his wife was his sister and then was confronted by Avimelech. Of course, the big difference here is, um, if you haven't noticed, I'll, I'll say it for you, it's a little easier for me to ask you questions when, you're in, when, when we're together. It's harder for me to ask you questions when we're on Zoom. But um, especially because people, they feel sometimes uncomfortable talking on Zoom. That's okay. If anybody wants to any, ever uh, uh, share anything, please put the blue hand because I have to mute everyone's background. And so that makes it impossible for me to hear you or anybody to hear you, which has a good, uh, you know, is both a, pros, a pro and a con because it's a pro that we don't hear the background noise in everyone's house and they don't have to feel self-conscious about that. But it can be a negative because then I can't hear you if you want to say something. But if you put the blue hand or if you chat something to me, I will see it. Um, the point is that there is a big difference between the story of Avraham and Yitzchak in their encounters with Avimelech. In the case of Avraham, both times his wife was actually taken, including by Avimelech, he took Sarah. And then what happened when Avimelech took Sarah? He didn't discover that she was Avraham's wife on his own. Hashem comes to Avimelech in a dream and tells him that. Similarly, when Paro took Sarah, and uh, who had also, again, where Abraham had also presented her as, uh, as his sister and not his wife, plagues came upon Paro and forced him to release, uh, release Sarah back to, the, uh, back to her husband. So in those cases, there was divine intervention. Here, there's no divine intervention. It's that it's, and that's why it lasts a lot longer. Eventually, Avimelech is looking out his window and notices something going on, and this is not a brother and sister here. This is a man and a wife. So therefore... Um, he discovers it on his own. And again, just like he challenged Avram, he challenges Yitzchak, and Yitzchak gives the same answer, that, um, that I was afraid to be killed. And so Avimelech said, Somebody would have taken your wife and you would have brought upon us great, a lot of guilt. How could you do this? So similar to the critique that Avraham had, I'm sorry, that Avimelech had of Avraham. But again, just like you notice the difference here, that Avimelech was not in any way the recipient of any divine intervention. In other words, God did not speak to Avimelech in this case. God did not bring any plague upon Avimelech like he brought about Paro when Sarah was taken. Here, Avimelech realizes on his own that, uh, that Sarah is the, I'm sorry, that Rivka is the wife of Yitzchak and confronts Yitzchak, but he doesn't do one of the things 
that he did when, in his interaction with Avraham Avinu, which we talked about when we talked about the story of Avraham Avinu and Avimelech, which is that he does not ask Yitzchak, what did you see that you did this? In other words, he doesn't come to Yitzchak in any way with a, uh, a sense of deference, a sense of respect so much. He says to him, somebody almost could have taken your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. He doesn't seem in any way to be subordinate to Yitzchak or respectful or, uh, or, have, or um, in any way having any reverence for Yitzchak the way that he did towards Avram. Where we saw with Avram, he felt insecure when he saw that Avram did not respect him. Um, he doesn't seem to have that sense towards Yitzchak. He just criticizes Yitzchak and then says, And he said that if anybody touches this man or his wife, he's going to be put to death. Yitzchak begins to plant. He begins to uh, get involved in agriculture in the area and he's extremely successful. And And so interestingly here, in the case of Avraham Avinu, he was also extremely wealthy and extremely successful. And yet Avimelech did not want Avraham to leave. In fact, he found a way to try to patch things up with Avraham and to keep Avraham in the neighborhood, as we learned when we learned about the story of Avimelech and his interactions with Avraham, which I think was an important shiur, important class discussing that also undiscovered territory of what the significance of that story is uh, in terms of understanding Avraham Avinu and in terms of understanding the message of the Chumash, what is the significance of all of Avraham's dealings with Avimelech. Here Yitzchak's dealings with Avimelech are uh, juxtaposed to but contrasted with, they're compared and contrasted with the, the, the interactions of, of, um, of Avraham, his father, with Avimelech. So here he becomes very wealthy and, and Avimelech never seemed to have a problem with the wealth of Avraham Avinu. In fact, he wanted him to stay around and Avraham therefore planted his eshel, he planted his orchard or whatever exactly it was in the territory of uh, Avimelech and Avimelech basically supported him and, and allowed him to use his territory as a home base for his outreach efforts teaching people about God. Here, what happens um, is that there is we never see that by Avraham Avinu we never see any jealousy of the Plishtim directed towards Avraham Avinu we never see any resentment of the Plishtim against Avraham Avinu we never see any of that emotion from Avimelech towards Avraham personally so it's very interesting here so then it says and all of the wells that the servants of Avraham had dug in the times of Avraham Avinu, the Plishtim filled them up with dirt and sealed them off, closed them up. In other words, they respected Avraham Avinu, and during his lifetime they never would have done such a thing. Although there was, again, this is again reminiscent of the dealings of Avraham with Avimelech, where they had the conflict over the wells they were stolen by the servants of Avimelech from Avraham. Here we have the servants of Avimelech messing around with the wells of Avraham again, filling them up with dirt and preventing Yitzchak from benefiting from the wells of his father. Okay, but, the, uh, but if you remember back to when we discussed Avraham's dealings with Avimelech and the lesson that was uh, uh, implicit in that interaction about the wells, there's definitely an echo of that here. Again, they're doing something to the wells of Avram, which is really not right. It's not the right thing to do. But instead of having uh, being held accountable for this, 
instead of in some way being uh, criticized for this or, or, or Yitzchak confronting Avimelech for this since seemingly Avimelech does not recognize Yitzchak as a moral authority the way that he recognized Avraham. That seems to be the implication. In fact, Get out of here, says, says Avimelech to Yitzchak. Because you become too powerful. You become too wealthy. You never saw that with Avraham? So Yitzchak moved to Nachal Gerar, not too far away, but still, separate area. Then Yitzchak went back. He didn't confront Avimelech the way that his father did. He didn't try to argue issues of justice with Avimelech the way that his father did or hold him accountable for what his servants had done the way that Abraham had. Instead, he just goes back and he digs them up again, the wells of his father, and he renames them the same names that his father had given them. In other words, what you get here is a sense that Yitzchak is one of those people at this stage in the, in the unfolding of the story that is very much standing in the shadow of his father. His father was this towering, moral, religious, spiritual, philosophical uh, giant that everybody looked up to as such a great person and the founder of a, this movement of recognizing one God and living, by the, in, living according to the ways of God. And Yitzchak inherited that. And Yitzchak is not quite his father. He's not the same person. He doesn't measure up. He's not perceived as an authority in any way. And he doesn't seem in any way to try to project any air of authority at all. Um, he simply tries to preserve the legacy of his father by redigging the wells. And even when Hashem addresses Yitzchak, he's always invoking the legacy and the promise made to his father, not to Yitzchak himself. And I think this is all very noteworthy. The servants of Yitzchak are digging and they find a new well of water. Unfortunately, the uh, shepherds of Gerar argue with the shepherds of Yitzchak and say, no, the water belongs to us. So therefore he called the name of the well fighting, Esek. It's, it means uh, sort of like uh, conflict because, they, because they, um, they, they argued with him about it. In other words, this again is reminiscent of Avraham's struggles over the wells that he dug that Avimelech's servants opposed and tried to take for themselves. Here we have again the same thing happening, but instead of Yitzchak uh, resolving it uh, the way that Abraham did, he simply has to uh, fight it out and, and, um, and deal with it. They dug another well, and the, and the police team argued with them about it too. Sitna means like hatred. They, they called that one hatred. In other words, there was, there was conflict for them constantly over these wells. Finally, he moved from there. Finally, they dug a well that uh, there was no fighting about. And um, they called it the Chovot, which means wide. Because now Hashem has made things wide for us and we've been fruitful in the land. Meaning, finally, we've been able to... Uh, finally, we've been able to uh, establish ourselves and begin to grow without the opposition of the plishtim. And this is very important because you never see Avraham Avinu facing any opposition from, to his growth. 
His growth is, is, is massive, but he's never opposed. There's never any jealousy, never any direct conflict. Even when the servants of Avimelech do steal the wells of Abraham, Avimelech, when he's confronted, is very apologetic, and he, you know, he corrects matters, and, he, you know, and, and things are worked out. Here, uh, Yitzchak is going from well to well being opposed, Finally, he finds a place that's an open area that he can, uh, he feels that he can, um, uh, he can expand without having any opposition. And, but you notice that this is the first time that, what does he say? He says, Ki Hashem has made things wide for us, has expanded for us, has enabled us to grow. So you see that this is a, that this is the first time actually that we see that Yitzchak is using the name of Hashem and making a statement about Hashem. Even though before it said, Hashem, that Hashem blessed him. And he became very great, but the people were jealous of him. This is the first time that he says, even when he named the wells before, he called it Esek, fighting, he called it Sitna, hatred. Here he says, because Hashem has made things wide for us. He recognizes Hashem's hand in the unfolding bracha that he's experiencing. And he went from there to Be'er Sheva. And this time, again, this time he has a prophecy again. He says, don't be afraid, Hashem says, because I'm with you. And I'm going to bless you and increase your descendants. Again, because of Abraham, my servant. So you see what is really the implication. The implication is that you, Yitzchak, on your own, yes, you recognize that you are the beneficiary of a blessing of Hashem, which is the first step, but you don't recognize, you're not embracing the mission of Abraham. The blessing you're receiving is only because of Abraham and what he did. But you are not yourself worthy independently of this bacha. It's only because ba'af, it's ba'avur Avraham Avdi, just like you said before, because Avraham fulfilled my mitzvot, etc., etc. Therefore, I am going to bless you. And here again, he says, ba'avur Avraham Avdi, because of Avraham, my servant, implying that you, Yitzchak, would not deserve these bachot on your own. You're inheriting them. You're grandfathered in, or fathered in, in this case, because you are, uh, because you're the son of Avraham. But really, there's nothing in and of itself that you've done to earn these bachot independently of Abraham. And I think that's the message that he's sending here. So from, from Yitzchak mentioning the name of God and recognizing God's role in allowing this bacha to allowing him to flourish and experience the blessing, now he has a prophecy in which Hashem reveals to him again the message that I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to bless you, but it's it's because of Abraham, my servant. Meaning, he's my servant, but you haven't shown yourself to be my servant yet. And what does Yitzchak do when he wakes up in the morning? He builds an altar. And for the first time, we see that Yitzchak calls out in the name of God. And he, he sets up his tent there. This is very, now this is the language of Abraham Avinu. He sets up a tent. And again, his servants go to work digging wells. But notice, for the first time, we see Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. This is what Abraham Avinu was doing all the time. He was coming to places. Vayikra Hashem B'Shem Hashem El Olam. That was what he did when he was living in Avimelech's neighborhood, when he had the Eshel, when he planted the Eshel, he planted the orchard. It says that he called that in the name of God. And we know that when Abraham first came to Canaan, when he first came to Eretz Yisrael, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem, he was calling out in the name of Hashem. This is the first time we're seeing that with Yitzchak Avinu. Building an altar and Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. And he called out in the name of Hashem. And he set up his tent there. Setting up his tent there means he's making an outreach center the way that his father did 
a tent is an open place for passers-by to see him, for him to be able to welcome them, for him to be able to uh, connect with the people who are, uh, who are travelers, um, so that he will not seal himself off, but will be able to share knowledge of God with the people around. This is exactly what Avraham Avinu was doing when he set up his tent and when he set up a mizbeach, an altar, and called that in the name of God. So now you see that what is Yitzchak doing? He's becoming a servant of God because what, did, what was the implication? What was insinuated by Hashem when he said, I'm going to bless you because of Avraham, my servant? Implying that you are not serving me, Avraham served me. So now Yitzchak realizes he needs to fulfill that mission. He has to embrace the mission of Avraham Avinu. He has to embrace that same goal. And so what does he do? He builds a mizbeach, he builds an altar, and he starts calling out in the name of God. All of a sudden, what happens? And I think that's the only way you can understand the flow of the text. All of a sudden, Avimelech shows up. And a group of his friends, he's still got the same general after all these years. Yitzchak said to them, why did you come here? You hated me, and you sent me away. In other words, what does it mean? Without Avraham Avinu, they loved him. They wanted him to stay by. With Yitzchak, when they saw that he became wealthy, they rejected him and they kicked him out. Very similar to what happened to the Jewish people when they were in Egypt, and their success and their growth was seen as a negative from the perspective of the Egyptians and as a threat. And that was how the Plishtim saw Yitzchak's growth. They didn't see Avraham's growth that way. And they said, because we saw that Hashem is with you. Vanomer and we said we want to have we amongst ourselves made a deal that we want to make a deal with you we want to make a treaty with you and we want to make a covenant with you if you do anything bad to us when we've not touched you even though we've done only good with you and we sent you away in peace you now are blessed by Hashem in other words they're acknowledging um, Yitzchak being a, uh, the, the representative of Hashem one who is the recipient of the blessing of Hashem and someone with whom they want to have a relationship now why is that significant? because if you remember back all the way back to Avraham Avinu when we talked about the relationship between Avimelech and Avraham there uh, in, and that was in Parashat Vayera so eventually um, we see that after the birth of um, after the birth of uh, of uh, of Yitzchak, so um, Avimelech comes to visit uh, to visit Avraham, and they have a conversation also. And he says, "Elohim imecha bechol God is with you in everything that you do. And then he said, "Therefore, I don't want you to do anything bad to me, and I want you to do uh, to treat me kindly, like we treated you." And then they have the whole discussion about this about the wells. Now, and where Avraham criticizes, he rebukes uh, Avimelech. For, have, for allowing his servants to steal the wells of Avram. So here we don't have anything about that. Even though Yitzchak also had an issue with the conflict over the wells that he was digging. We don't see that here. That's missing here. But what we do see is that Avimelech again perceives in Yitzchak the blessing of God. He didn't see that before. Before he said you become too powerful. Get out of here. But now all of a sudden he wants a relationship with Yitzchak. Why? Because he perceives that God is really with Yitzchak and that Yitzchak is a worthy successor of his father. What, what tips him off? What indicates it? That he's begun to engage. He didn't just inherit the position of his father, which was what it was before. He was just a passive heir to his father. 
Now he's actually utilizing the bracha that he has, the blessing and the opportunity and the ability to share knowledge of God, to demonstrate for others proper service of God by creating these altars. Now he's actually fulfilling the mission. Ah, now that you're fulfilling the mission, that's a different story. Now I want a connection with you. Now I want to be able to have a, a breathe with you. I don't, want to, I don't hate you. I don't reject you now. I see that God is with you and I want to be a part of it. And that's really the difference. And I think that what you see in Avimelech is, you know, the contrast, of course, with, with Paro or with, with Egypt or in general, with anti-Semitism in general, that when the Jewish people are successful, but their success is a selfish success, they only focus on their own uh, interests. They are focused only on their own enrichment. They, are, they become arrogant. They become proud. They compete with their Gentile neighbors, whatever it might be. Okay, they become involved in the material things for their own sake. So then the nations of the world become resentful and hateful and they distrust the Jews and they see them as a threat and they see the success of the Jewish people as a thorn in their side just like the Egyptians did. They don't like it. People see the success of Israel today in a negative light oftentimes, unfortunately. What changes that? When the Jewish people utilize the bacha that they receive, when they utilize it in the service of God, when they utilize it um, to achieve goals, to achieve a purpose that is a transcendent purpose. And here you see that Yitzchak originally was focused very much on securing the blessings he inherited from Avraham Avinu and hopefully being able to continue that. But once he started, and that just brought hatred upon him because he was seen as like the rich kid that inherited his father's money or inherited, inherited his father's position. But once he began actually serving God through calling out in the name of Hashem, through sharing knowledge of God, and inspiring others to the worship of God. And, and then Avimelech and the people around could see, oh, this guy is not just a faker. This guy is a real deal. He's also, he's not just somebody who inherited the position of his father, but he's someone who is a worthy successor of his father. Now they respected him. Now they wanted to be connected with him and have a relationship with him. And that's why they come and they say, you are now blessed by Hashem. Therefore, we want you to promise never to harm us. And, but notice again that they still don't, he still doesn't take it up to the same level as Abraham Avinu. There's still something different because when he speaks, he said, when he spoke to Avraham Avinu, he said that uh, I want you to do, he said, don't like, do kindness with us. With Yitzchak, he doesn't say that. He just says, don't hurt us and we won't hurt you. Okay, so there's a, there's a respect. I wouldn't call it, it's not the same level as Avraham Avinu. With Avraham Avinu, um, Avimelech said, I want a relationship which is a, kind, a relationship of reciprocal kindness with you. With Yitzchak he says, don't do anything bad to us and we won't do anything bad to you. We see that you are a representative of God and you're blessed by God and, there, and we, we acknowledge that we respect that, so don't harm us and we won't harm you. We didn't harm you, so don't harm us. It's more of a cold peace, it sounds like, between Yitzchak and Avimelech than there is between Abraham and Avimelech. Abraham, as we talked about in the Shigur and Vayera, Avraham almost adopts Avimelech as a kind of a student. He's trying to teach him. He sees something that he can work with and he's able to connect with him and he's able to direct him. And so therefore, he feels that he's able to uplift Avimelech and he, and he adopts Avimelech as a worthy student. But here you see that Yitzchak is not as successful as Avraham Avinu in this area. This is not Yitzchak Avinu's area of expertise. He's not as effective of an outreach professional, so to speak, as, uh, as Avraham Avinu was because Avraham Avinu 
what, being a person who is able to connect to every individual and relate to them personally and understand where they were coming from and find the point of contact to be able to lift them out of whatever uh, preconceived notions or mistaken ideas that they had or distortions or idolatry or whatever. He was able to do that because he came from that. But think about Yitzchak. He didn't come from that. Yitzchak was born into the family of Abraham and um, of Abraham and Sarah when they were already elderly where their ideas of, of Judaism, their ideas of God were very developed. And Yitzchak lived a, a sheltered existence, a sheltered life in Eretz Israel. He wasn't exposed to any alternative. He never thought there was another lifestyle that made sense or could make sense. He was not indoctrinated with wrong ideas or raised with improper values. He was born into this. Okay, it's like we talk about today, FFB, from, from birth, they call it. Somebody who was born religious from birth versus Baal Teshuvah, somebody who is who becomes uh, religious later on in life. A person who becomes religious independently knows what it's like to live in a secular society, knows what it's like to live with secular values, recognizes what the challenges are that are unique to uh, that kind of an environment and that kind of background, and is therefore maybe more capable of connecting with people who come from a similar background, reaching them and, uh, and educating them. Whereas a person who has been isolated their whole life in the ivory tower of religiosity and they've never really had the experience of any of these alternative ways of life or ways of thinking, it's going to be harder for them to connect to, with people who come from those kinds of backgrounds and to be able to educate them. And so it seems from that that Yitzchak is less of an effective, so to speak, less of an effective uh, outreach professional insofar as that's concerned. So he doesn't end up taking Avimelech under his wing. He doesn't end up partnering with Avimelech and with Avimelech kind of sponsoring him uh, or becoming a patron of his work. But he has a cold peace with Avimelech. A respect is there for what, what Yitzchak is about and what he represents. He, he sees that now Yitzchak has taken upon himself the, the mission of Avraham Avinu to sanctify God's name in the world and that's a very noble uh, undertaking. He sees that. And he respects it, but he doesn't necessarily connect with Yitzchak the way that he connected with Abraham. And certainly Yitzchak doesn't seem to make any overtures towards Avimelech the way that, um, that Abraham did. Interesting also, just as an aside, is that when you look at the name of Hashem, a lot of times the names of Hashem uh, are, uh, give us important clues to what's going on. When Avimelech spoke to Abraham, he said, Elohim imecha bechol That God is with you in everything that you do. Um, and then he said, Yishav'ali belohim hena. That swear to me by, by this God, the God that you believe in, um, that you won't lie to me. And, um, and so, and whereas when he talks to Yitzchak, he, he doesn't say that. He says, Atata Hashem. He says, uh, he uses the name Hashem, the four letter name of Hashem, which is the unique name of God. He says, Hashem Imach, that Hashem is with you, Yudke Vavke. So there, there are two possible, um, uh, two possible uh, reasons for this change in the name of God. It's interesting. Why, why when Avimelech talks to Avram, does he use the name of God, which is the more generic name of God? Literally in English, we would translate it as God, Elohim. As opposed to Yudke Vavke, what we pronounce as Adonai when we pronounce it, which is really the proper name of God, the unique name of God, which would be known to Avram Avinu that he always calls out, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. It's talking about that unique, distinct name of God um, that refers to the concept of God that is, uh, you know, that is unique to Judaism. So why does Avimelech, when he speaks to, uh, when he speaks to Avram, use a sort of more generic term for the name of God, and here use the more specific name. So there's two possibilities, I think, um, in understanding it. One is that Avimelech himself initially 
saw God in the more generic way. In other words, he understood God as the creator. And Elohim is a term for God, as we learned in Breshit, is a term, and also in Noach, that Elohim is a term for God that is more generic. It means God, the creator, the one who puts law and order into the universe. Whereas Yudke Vavke Hashem is God, the transcendent being who is separate from the creation, who is beyond and is unknowable and is eternal. That's why they used to translate in English Yudke Vavke as the eternal, because actually it's Hayahu uh, Veviye. He is, he was, and he always will be. Timeless, eternal, transcendent, metaphysical, however you want to describe. But the point is that that is a name that refers to Hashem as distinct from the creation. Elohim refers to God as the one who is responsible for the order in the creation. So why did Avimelech move from one to the other? Could be because in the beginning, Avimelech understood God in a more generic way. And, um, and later on, uh, through his interactions with Avram, because we see that Avram took him under his wing to a certain extent and educated him, interacted with him a lot, it could be that as a result of that, he came to uh, a deeper and more sophisticated understanding of God. So by the time Avimelech is here speaking to uh, Yitzchak, the next generation, he already understands the unique concept of God that is uh, taught and promulgated by Avram Avinu and passed on to his son Yitzchak. And therefore he uses the proper name of God um, in light of that. Because uh, you see that when Hashem uh, even appears to, Avra, to uh, Avimelech in the story of, with Avraham, it says, He's still relating to God as Elohim. So maybe he matured or he became more sophisticated in his understanding of God. That's one possibility. I think that's probably the most compelling possibility. Another possibility is that he saw Avraham Avinu's success versus Yitzchak's success differently. He saw Avraham Avinu's success as natural. He saw that Avraham Avinu from applying God's wisdom to his life and living in a way that was a... Uh, uh, a, a, a special way of living and conducting himself and having these uh, distinctive values that naturally brought him great success. So he saw the blessing of God as naturally manifest in Abraham Avinu, as opposed to in Yitzchak, where he saw it as a matter of divine intervention. He didn't see Yitzchak as being on the level of Abraham, where he would have naturally achieved the great success that he did, but he saw the hand of God in that in a more miraculous or supernatural way, and maybe that's why he says the name of Hashem. Both of them could also be true. Both of these ideas could be true. It's just interesting to note that the name of God always is a clue. The name of God that's used is always a clue um, to themes in the passage and usually reflects the level of understanding of the character in the story. That Elohim refers to one way of understanding God or relating to God, and Yudke Vavke refers to another. So that would be the story of Yitzchak. Now, Vayazlem Mishte, and he made for them a, a party or a meal. They ate and they drank. In the morning, they got up and they swore, they made a note to each other. And Yitzchak sent them off in peace. And it was on that very day. And it was on that very day that the servants of Yitzchak came and they said, we found water. We were digging for a well and we found water. And he called it Shiva 7. Therefore the name of the place is Be'er Sheva until today. Some people say that this is the... Um, this is the same place that Avraham Avinu named Be'er Sheva, but they, they changed 
uh, that there, there were, it was a double determinant. It was first named that by Avraham when he made the oath with Avimelech, and then it was reiterated uh, in the case of Yitzchak. Or it could be that there's two Beershevas. A lot of Mefarshim say that there were two places called Beersheva, one named by Avraham, one named by Yitzchak. Notice that the issue of wells is prominent in both of them. But here, his, the, it wasn't that Avimelech acknowledged the ownership of Avraham's wells and said that his, and acknowledged that his servants had stolen them. It was that Yitzchak on his own has his servants dig wells and are successful in digging a well that they find water that's going to be able to provide for them and for their cattle. Now you notice that this is independent of his father. Before it was mentioning how they were digging wells that, relate, that were... Um, uh, that uh, were the, the wells originally of Avraham. And then they dug a well where, uh, where Yitzchak recognized Hashem helping him. And then he has this, uh, he calls out in the name of God and therefore is really assuming the position and the, and the mission of Avraham. Avimelech comes and after he has the interaction with Avimelech, now he finds, another, he finds a well of his own and he names a city of his own. So there's a sense of now becoming an independent, recognized uh, representative of this movement that he inherited from Abraham Avinu. In his own right, he's now been acknowledged and recognized by Avimelech. He's made a Brit, he's made a covenant with him, he's had interactions with him, and he's even dug his own first well since this renewed um, uh, persona of his, that now he's involved in outreach and he's interacting with uh, world leaders and speaking to them about Hashem and speaking to them about the mission that he's involved in, now he can name his own city and he can have his own well um, with this new level of understanding of God, a new level of understanding of what his purpose is and what his mission is in the world. And so this is the, uh, what, what I think Yitzchak, this story about Yitzchak is charting the development of Yitzchak from a person who's standing in the shadow of his father to a person who stands on his own two feet as a servant of God, an ambassador of God to the world. And, who's not, and that reflects itself in his interactions with world leaders, but also in his ability to name a city. A ci- and the name of the city reflects the fact that he has a treaty with somebody, which means that he's a recognized ambassador of Hashem to the world. And also to have a source of water, which again is a sign of independence, his ability to be independent as a leader and as a uh, second generation founder of this movement of Judaism. But I think that what, 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 that is the challenge of Yitzchak, to on one hand be the successor of Avraham, but on the other hand to be his own independent personality who is acknowledged by others as an authority and is able to have an impact and influence on the world. And you see that he doesn't accomplish quite as much as his father is able to in this area. And, um, and that would seem to explain uh, why... Uh, all of the details that we've seen up till now, uh, in terms of Avimelech, the differences in the way that Avimelech eventually approaches Avraham. F- I'm, I'm sorry, Yitzchak. The fact that God doesn't intervene and prevent Rivka from being taken. Avimelech realizes on his own. Avimelech sends Yitzchak away, uh, rather than keeping him uh, in the neighborhood. Avimelech, uh, Avimelech's servants quarrel with Yitzchak. They fill the, they fill the wells of, Yitzch, uh, of Yitzchak's father to try to erase his legacy. They resent and they, have, and, they, and they have hatred towards Yitzchak and so on and so forth. So there is a totally different dynamic here until Yitzchak emerges as a spiritual leader in his own right 
who was therefore then courted by Avimelech for a brit, not to the same level again, but to some level, and he's able to establish himself. But right after this, we have, as a postscript to the story, that Esav was 40 years old, and he marries two Hittite women, Chiti uh, women. This was a cause of great distress to Yitzchak and Rivka. But why does that follow immediately on this brit with, with Avimelech? Seemingly, seemingly, um, it's somewhat of a, a, of a guess, but seemingly the, the reason is because the, the very same um, difficulty that Yitzchak has in uh, relating to, let's say, Avimelech and in being able to serve as an effective an ambassador to people of, uh, of outside cultures as his father was, that same uh, difficulty manifests itself in his inability to get Esav on the right path and to get Esav to marry the right kinds of women and to get Esav to follow, uh, you know, to, to receive the same legacy that he received from his father. In other words, perhaps the reason why Yitzchak's story is abbreviated in the Torah we don't get as much of Yitzchak's story in the Torah as we do Avraham's story or Yaakov's story. Is because Yitzchak was uniquely isolated. He was a figure that because he wasn't as worldly and as experienced, as engaged with the environment and the culture of the world around him, therefore he wasn't able to be as impactful in terms of Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name and educating people about God. And so therefore, since the Torah... Mainly, and I've said this many times before, why do we only read? If Avraham Avinu lived 175 years, why do we read only uh, certain episodes, uh, you know, uh, 10 episodes in his life over such a long career? From the time he left home even. We don't even hear about his, his, his young age up to the age of 75. We start with him at the age of 75 and we follow his life. And even what we follow in his life is maybe 10 episodes along the way. So what happened to the rest of the time? Uh, so the answer is that the Torah only focuses on the things that Abraham did or the prophecies that he received and the things that he did that relate to the national story of the Jewish people and the, and the mission of the Torah creating a nation that sanctifies God's name in the world the Jewish people who study God's wisdom and sanctify his name in the world but anything that's about his personal development like how Avraham Avinu came to be Avraham Avinu the Torah doesn't tell you it leaves that 75 years of his life, how he became the person that God chose, leaves that as a mystery. Only in the Midrash, the rabbis give us stories about Avram smashing the idols and doing other things to become the person that he was. But anything else it doesn't tell us. And so Yitzchak Avinu, because his public role as a teacher and a communicator of ideas about Hashem and ideals of Torah basically was more limited, more circumscribed. He mainly served as a transitional figure between his father and Yaakov. Therefore, the amount of content that the Torah devotes to Yitzchak's life is more limited. This is really it. This story of him coming into his own, transitioning from simply standing in the shadow to his, of his father to becoming a more, more of an outreach-focused person who was sanctifying God's name to the extent of his ability. But he did have a limitation not having the worldly background of his father. And we know that Yaakov himself has to be dispatched to live with Levan for a while so he can acquire the worldliness and the experience that's necessary for him to establish a nation of 12 totally diverse individual sons that will be able to carry the legacy on even further than that. So in, he has to go through a training program to acquire the experience that maybe his father Yitzchak wasn't able to have because of his isolation and the way in which he grew up. Abraham recognized that if Yitzchak were allowed 
to be exposed to all the forces of the culture around him, he wouldn't be able to maintain what Avram passed on to him. So it was very critical for that transitional period for him to be isolated and protected from outside influences. But eventually, for, a, for Yaakov to establish the nation of Israel, he had to engage with the world around him again. And that's what he did um, during those years with Lavan and eventually his, his interactions with Esav and other, and other cultures and other people. But that's, I think, what the main story of Yitzchak is to see this important transition and, and the lesson that we can learn from it, that we can't just be a recipient of values passively from a prior generation, from parents, from teachers, um, from elders. We have to actively in, not only internalize what we've received, but put our own mark on it, actively contribute to the perpetuation and the application of those values, not just preserve what we have inherited, but actually take steps to expand it and to extend it and to deepen it and to make sure that it has a greater reach and more engagement, not just to leave the status quo. Like we always hear politicians say, you know, we want to leave this country better than we found it, you know, better than our parents gave it to us. We want to leave it to our children. That's true about Judaism as well. We want to make sure that Jewish community, Jewish values, knowledge of Torah is even more accessible, even more engaging, even more far-reaching um, than, it wa- than it was when we received it. And that's how each generation can make an impact. But if we're simply preserving and inheriting passively what the previous generations bequeathed to us, so then like Yitzchak in the beginning, we're not yet worthy of that legacy. We become worthy of it when we independently and actively um, extend that work in, in our individual way to be able to make an impact to the extent of our ability. And I think that's really what Yitzchak um, teaches us and what we can learn about him. And I think it's really important to study the story to see how that transition happened in his life. That he acknowledged that the bachot that he had came from a legacy, but that wasn't enough. He wasn't just going to be a recipient of a legacy. He was going to make his own mark to the extent that he could and to the best of his ability. And even though he had limits in what he was able to do, he was a critical transitional figure between himself, uh, Avram on one side and, and Yaakov on the other. So Bezrat Hashem, next week we will continue to study, of course, the story of, uh, of Yaakov and his um, experiences with Lavan. That's a more complicated story because there are multiple components, but actually it's really one long story. So we will select some elements, hopefully, of next week's parasha to, uh, to focus on as we continue to follow the unfolding story of Yaakov Avinu. I hope everyone will join me and wishing everyone a happy uh, Thanksgiving and pleasant rest of your week.